This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Previously on Violence and Sunshine. There's a few things though that for me I just can't get over though and it's just, just mainly the screams are still there. That that scream that Spencer's doing still up to this point. I, I must admit if I had heard even this one, even the changing of times first, I'm not sure I would have got into Under Oath. I'm not sure you would have been able to convince me Nah, dude, they've brought out a new album. It's called They're Only Chasing Safety. I reckon you'll love it. It's totally different. They've really gone down this different path. The screaming's like tenfold better. You'll enjoy it. I'd be like, nah, I fucking heard the changing of times. You I can't realize do it, man. it's a different I, screamer, sure. yeah? No, no. Oh, no shit. <laughs> oh, my God. So you don't know Keyboard Guy. You don't know who the singer of the band was for the first three records. All right, I'm going to yeah. blow your mind because you know who the screamer is. It's Dallas uh, Taylor from Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. No. Yeah. No way. Did you not know really? this? I did not know this. Holy I, shit. Now that you're saying first. that, it's ringing a big bell, the Maylene and Under Oath connection. Maylene and the Sons of Disaster from Birmingham, Alabama, formed in 2004 after frontman Dallas Taylor departed Under Oath the year prior. The band's name and overriding theme of divine justice relates to the legend of the criminal gang of Ma Barker and her sons, a ruthless crime family active in the US from 1910 to the late 1930s. Initially signed to Mono vs Stereo and then Ferret Records, Maylene released four full lengths between 2005 and 2011. The band's debut self-titled record incorporated elements of what would become their signature southern sound whilst also leaning heavily on metalcore. Maylene would go on to refine their sound on their follow-up record 2 in 2007, which is potentially the perfect apex between heavy and southern. 2009's 3 would again show the band's progression away from metalcore and closer to southern rock. Maylene released their fourth record in 2011 and remained relatively quiet through 2014 when they began sessions for their fifth album. In 2015, Taylor and guitarist Jake Duncan were allegedly assaulted by police, resulting in injury, detainment and arrest. It was then announced in 2016 by Under Oath that Maylene frontman Dallas Taylor had been hospitalized due to an ATV accident. Taylor had incurred multiple broken bones, internal bleeding and significant head injuries. For the past five years, Maylene and the Sons of Disaster have been inactive due to Taylor's ongoing rehabilitation and recovery, as he deals with what will likely be lifelong lingering effects of his injuries. Through various lineup changes, Dallas Taylor remains the sole original member of the band, and only a couple of months ago a video leaked showing Taylor and his band shooting a new music video for what has now been revealed as a comeback appearance at 2022's Furnace Fest in their hometown of Birmingham, Alabama. I'm Paul, alongside me is Nick, and today on Violence and Sunshine, we're exploring the underrated and under-celebrated Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. Skinny Nick, it's been a decade since their last record, a record that we won't even make it to today. Six years since Dallas Taylor was in a horrible ATV accident, but Maylene and the Sons of Disaster are back, and there's a good chance our listeners have never, ever heard of this band. So I've got to say, is this the most niche band we've covered on this show so far? 
It probably is, man. I, th I think it is. It doesn't really fit the mold uh, of previous bands we've covered, and it's not really so much as a, you know, an emo darling of the scene or anything like that. This is just a band that you and I both got uh, heavily into, um, really kind of towards the start of their of their career. We we probably more, I guess, joined joined in and really enjoyed their album two uh, a bit more than their their first self titled. Oh, one album um but yeah it's pretty it's pretty unique it's it's southern rock at, at its finest it's still got some weird metalcore elements especially in the earlier stuff and compared to other stuff we were listening to then and even stuff we listen to now like this band kind of stands alone as the only band i sort of listen to that's in this genre like i think you might be the same but we are not really southern rock country rock loving boys are we <laughs> lots of bands have tacked on southern rock elements to what they do there's bands like every time i die who incorporate it quite authentically you know very much in the guitar style but i know a lot of bands in the late 2000s like metalcore bands would just have like a out of nowhere like a southern breakdown but this band really kind of lived and breathed their southern roots you know they're from the area the sound influenced them growing up and rather than shying away from those early influences they got a little bit older and started leaning into it now obviously in this show we cover emo adjacent bands so the bands that kind of extend out and branch out from the scene dallas taylor was a member of under oath you know one of the biggest screamo emo bands in the scene so he started off with them as we heard in the cold open <laughs> you totally forgot that no it's you the don't same have to guy. remind me man I, I know i know the history um no actually listening listening back to that just now it's even worse than i remember from the under oath episode like i don't think anyone could trust anything i say regarding my memory anymore like if, if i've said like no 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 i remember in high school this is what happened don't trust me because my memory is clearly absolutely shot because that was some of my uh my poorest work ever forgetting totally forgetting that very uh well-known point about dallas's original band and original frontman of under oath but uh anyway we're here to now talk about i guess what he's what he's more well known for, I, I, I think, is is as the Maylene frontman. Even though he did three albums, I think was it three albums with Under Oath. That's a that's a huge body of work and really where he started. But I think, and and you can hear me in the cold opener there, and I'm sort of talking a, a little bit about not really enjoying Dallas's voice uh, on on Under Oath songs because Under Oath really are a metal band a hardcore band that's where they lie they they stick very strongly to that and spencer is above and beyond one of the best in the scene and absolutely trumps dallas in my opinion for that style but when you then go to maylene and you're really now looking at a band that's that's going southern rock and they just want some gravel and some grit and 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 even someone that can sing cleans and it be in that more classical rock sound Dallas Dallas stands out, man, and he does an amazing job on these albums. And uh, yeah, it too, it's it's quite unique to see the work he did with Under Oath and then flipping to Maylene and where they've now gone to be this absolute southern rock uh, band that are, are so far removed from metal on the on the on the later offerings. Anyway, yeah, they really kind of kicked it off with that self-titled record, having the metal core elements in the sound. Like, there's absolutely tracks on there that have 
you know, have the full Southern experience. Um, you know, Caution, Dangerous Curves Ahead is a metalcore song that kicks the record off. But then you've got a song like Tough as John Jacobs that starts with like slide guitar and country cleans and even like a bit of cowbell kicks. <laughs> yeah. Our boy Dana from Two Week Notice, also the cowbell player in Piebald, needs to hit up Maylene when they're coming back for <laughs> Furnace Fest and get on that track there because we know that boy can yeah, play Yeah, I reckon you'll get a spot, man. <laughs> you'll get a spot. But yeah, we really started to get a hint of what this band, you know, were trying to do it's a bit of a mixed bag that self-titled record and it almost doesn't sound very 2005 like I think it was a couple of years earlier it would make sense but it really was Dallas coming out of under oath and doing something incredibly different you know as you said going from this like stark kind of metal scratchy screams that I agree I don't I don't love either and Spencer Chamberlain is ultimately the the superior under oath vocalist but then Dallas shifts over to Maylene and he's doing this southern kind of yell these beautiful country cleans and the metalcore kind of screams and it was like well wow what a change over two years this guy's come from being a little bit meh in under oath to being amazing in this brand new band that you said it doesn't really sound like anyone else in the scene yeah they, they don't that they're, they're very unique and I think you put it well though with this first album it does sound older than it was like 2005 it, it probably should be a little more i guess polished even you look at the the album cover and it's so like it's what they're going for it is that washed out faded kind of shot of them in the field and it just looks old this looks like an album from the 90s man but it is interesting that you sort of you know even though it's not across the entire album with with kind of the southern rock vibe and, and where they go on to in two and three and beyond but I'm just looking through the track listing, man, and they clearly had an idea that that's where they wanted to go. You already mentioned, like, Caution, Dangerous Curves Ahead, and then you've got The Road Home to Panther Creek. You've got, as you said, Tough as John Jacobs, Gusty Like the Wind, you know, Lady at the Gate. These could be bloody, like, fucking, like, Woody Nelson songs, man. Like the, these are Woody Nelson, Willie Nelson, <laughs> Willie, Woody Harrelson slash Willie Nelson, Woody Harrelson <laughs> as Willie Nelson. <laughs> That's what I was going for, Willie. Yeah. Man, these song titles. This, this is this is very very country song titles. This is Johnny Cash even like it's it's odd. They clearly had the name, the branding, the style, and the song names. You know, everything was leaning towards we want to be a southern rock band, a country band. But on the first album, we're still not quite ready to fully lean into that. I guess they maybe they're a little bit cautious or they're a little bit unsure what fans would think or they still wanted to... Or maybe even it was just the style of, you know, Dallas coming from Under Oath and I think even some other Under Oath members, uh, previous members, also came over. In time, it has crossed over. I don't believe it was straight away, but eventually there were members that ended up crossing over, which is pretty cool because ultimately... While Dallas essentially got kicked out of Under Oath, they were very quickly on good terms. And he, with his kind of Christian outlook on life and forgiving outlook on life, was very easily able to forgive them and the the headspace they were all in. Basically, he was kicked out of the band because he was having relationship problems. And in a way, it was very much that Christian kind of like, hey, man, you've got something else bigger going on in your life. You need to take the time to go and address that. And, you know, he was pretty pissed off at the time, but very quickly was like, well, we're all young. I was able to go deal with my relationship issues, eventually marry that person, start mailing. So all this stuff kind of works out for the best. And I do really respect Dallas's Christian outlook on the world because unlike so many other Christians in the public sphere, he seems very much interested on 
only the refinement of his own faith rather than the imposition of faith on others. So while he is probably one of the most Christian musicians that I love, it's never felt like, oh, he's up there evangelizing, telling me what to think. He's just got his own very clearly defined set of values that he lives his life by and prides himself on without then making that your thing to deal with as well. And I really, really respect that. And a lot of these themes come all through the record, you know, divine justice and these Ma Barker and her boys. Like she basically thought that her boys, whilst they were committing these criminal acts, were doing the work of God. You know, she'd be praying for them. And he's seen the hypocrisy in that. So I do love that this is a heavily Christian band that has never once made me feel like I'm inferior or I should be living my life the way they are. And I really respect that. I think that's what all anyone really asks for. Like no, generally people have no qualms about anything that people want to believe or follow or influence their art or the way they live their life as long as it isn't seen as being you know preachy and impeding on someone else's life you like like very much you do your thing and that's fine but don't necessarily push that and have that you know override other people who necessarily don't see the world the same way as you or don't follow the same rules as you follow but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm never one to really get too into this stuff, so I sort of had totally even forgot that they are, you know, kind of a, a classic Christian band in, in America. But still, it's an American band, and I think probably most of them are. <laughs> uh, I think it was in the Under Oath episode, actually, we did that big quiz about Christian bands and all sorts of stuff, and there was this huge wiki list I came to, and there were bands on there that, like, don't have come out since and said oh we don't we don't actually say we're a christian band just some of us happen to be christians so and i think that's the big difference at times it's just like i think bands that very firmly uh like to stand up and say you know we are a christian band this is what we are this is 100 percent kind of why we're doing this art and why we're putting this stuff out there is you know it's part of god's plan it's god's work it's whatever and it's and it's a little bit more preachy i guess and then you've got people that just happen to be a certain faith doing music. And, and this seems like one of those bands. This, this is a band that have people that are very strongly uh, tied to their faith, but it doesn't come outward to the fans and to those that enjoy the music as, as feeling like that's getting put on you. you. You put it really well. They're just going about their thing, living their lives, and, and Dallas has some some clear values. Under Oath had huge Christian messaging. The Devil Wears Prada had huge Christian messaging. I loved both those bands completely independent of that. And it was nice to be able to separate the two. So if you want to access this band for the faith elements, it's there for you. If you just want to hear some really goddamn good music, <laughs> you can also just listen to that as well. So I think on that note, it's probably a good time to just take a little listen to what the kickoff of this record sounded like. So here's a little clip of Caution, Dangerous Curves Ahead from Maylene's first album from 2005. So you can very much hear the metalcore sensibility in that. That's the first track on the record. But that southern twang to Dallas Taylor's voice that you just hadn't heard yet in Under Oath. Yeah, you didn't get that version of him on Under Oath at all. That That's really that. You, you can hear what he what he's saying. It is more of a yell, not so much a scream. It's, it's almost got kind of like some Jimmy Barnes element of just like pushing, you know, just like 
basically yelling as loud as you can until your voice breaks, but doing it in a way that that works and and is re, you know repeatable. But it, and that chuggy guitar, the incredibly simple um, drums that sound like they've just been you know recorded in someone's basement. Like there's really nothing overly flashy on this album, and I think that it was it's it's completely accessible. It's very achievable. You know, we talked a bit about listening to certain bands where we thought, hey, here's a band that are doing something that I think we, we could kind of do that. You know, that they're, the, they're songs that we could maybe write. That's uh, a singing style that could be maybe uh, able to do. It's not like listening to some extremely technical metal band going like, eh, not for us or, or whatever it might be. Uh, this, this album especially is very accessible. It's very simple in a way. Like there's nothing too crazy going on but it's catchy as hell and i think the main kind of draw for me in instantly even from the early stuff is just how well dallas's voice works with those simple chuggy guitars it's really a guitar and vocals album this one for me they did kind of you know move on um sonically after this but that simplicity i think is key you know i love listening back this week i completely missed how much i love the drums of lee turner on this record like they're just really energetic really pounding like i can imagine this guy broke so many sticks and skins during the recording of this because like you said it was probably recorded in some weird room you know just having to thump it extra hard to get that sound right and it really comes out you know the rawness the passion the emotion of this record is very authentic and i think it appealed to like almost a masculine side of music we weren't really getting with a lot of other emo. And it was masculine without being kind of scary or without being kind of at the expense of women. It was just music that made us feel a little tougher than the from first to last we had been listening to up until this point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It is pretty tough. It's pretty raw. It's, it's like I can imagine this, you know, being played at like like a, an outback pub. Like it, it's, it's, it's very raw the drums you i'm glad you mentioned the drums because as you said that i like that you can hear everything on the kit like even kind of the imperfections sort of on the kit like it's not very tight it's not super polished but when it's coupled with the the gravelly vocals and the the chuggy guitars that also aren't amazing at any point it all sort of works and we talked about it sounding a little bit earlier than 05 and it does but it sort of works, like especially as a first album, I kind of like that you still have this album that sounds like something, you know, where these guys were just kind of like mapping it out. Like what sort of band are we here? Let's write some songs and nearly even songs that they probably just jammed became songs, like riffs they just jammed then became songs. That's what it feels like you're kind of getting on this album. It's just like whatever we come up with, let's put it down, let's turn it into a song done and i think i honestly enjoyed it more going back this week and kind of looking at it objectively than what i did at the time i think at the time it was it, it was what it was you know i heard a song like the road home to panther creek and i'm like ah this intro just sounds like a treyu from a couple of years ago or whatever but now 17 years on it makes perfect sense it's a great first record it's obviously the culmination of a you know a couple of years of having riffs in the back pocket and then getting that record out in 2005 so it was a joy to listen back to and it really makes sense for the foundation of their sound it certainly does but uh i think it really was uh, to their album that they dropped two years later in 07. This was the album that I think really made the both of us and a couple of our other friends really become Maylene fans. You know, we'd, we'd heard 
uh, uh, like I don't even know if I necessarily heard one before two or heard two and then went back and listened to one. I think that's the way it actually went for me um, was, was, was getting two first. And this is far more a Southern rock-leaning album. This uh, album, although remaining very heavy at times, it it's kind of drifted away from any of that kind of earlier metalcore style. It, it's a great combination of still being heavy but very Southern. Uh, and this was the one that I think really made us not only enjoy Maylene and what they were about and this kind of Southern rock style, but we even, we'll talk about it a bit later, but... We even kind of put together a little bit of a band, didn't we? That really based off this album was kind of, you know, a band idea that we wanted to have a crack at and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, so what are, you, what are your memories of 2 and, and how it made you feel this week listening back to it? I think I'm still, again, linking back to that, like, cosplaying of a cowboy type thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, this music wasn't like anything else I listened to and even listening to it this week, I can tell when I'm doing my research around the house and Ruth hears it. Sometimes she's just like, what the fuck is this? And not in a bad way, but just like, she said it to me before. She's like, geez, you listen to some weird stuff. Because like, <laughs> there's times where Maylene is like a, a country act. There's times where they're like a 90s rock act like Bon Jovi. There's times where they're a metalcore act. And it's it's a little bit, I think I said it with Alexis on Fire and City in Colour. I don't like acoustic folk music, but I like City in Colour because it's a guy from a hardcore band doing it. And I think it was similar with Maylene. I'm not country i'm not southern but hearing a guy come from under oath to then use those influences compared with you know the region he's from put those together into a style of music it's just a hell of a lot of fun and two is a really fun record and there's no surprise that it influenced us to write music that was just a blatant ripoff this record is full of great tracks you know memories of the grove is a great opener they know how to open their records Dry the River with its drum intro and kind of southern lead is just amazing. It's got a great southern horror movie inspired music video, which is fantastic. There's Darkest of Kin, which is probably my second favorite Maylene song. They evolve through the record. You know, Tale of the Runaways is a full country song with a great hook. You know, legends are made in shallow graves. And that, again, is a reference to Ma Barker and her sons. It's great lyricism and great storytelling right up to an instrumental ending in the day hell broke loose at sick at hollow so this is a fantastic record it's a great progression throughout it multiple sounds throughout the record in a beautiful neat little package there's no surprise it's the one that stood out to you the one that stood out to us and it still feels that good 15 years on oh it certainly does man and, and those songs you mentioned are really like my standouts as well a lot of them coming in the first half of the album but it sort of made me made me think you know, this, this again was a bit of a time and place thing. And I remember, you know, sort of around the same time when we were listening to this album a lot, you know, we were watching Justified with uh, with Timothy Oliphant. And what was the other one that got canned that said cocksucker a lot? Deadwood. Deadwood. Cocksucker every second word. But there were, you know, there was this kind of odd timing when we were listening to this Southern rock stuff right around the same time when we were watching, you know, these Southern you know tv series on on uh on like hbo style tv series that were absolutely hooking us in we were loving this as you said this kind of cow- modern day cowboy and western style stuff it was this weird time and placing western southern music southern tv shows it was all kind of happening I, it was i don't know if that's ringing a bell for you at all but that definitely kind of came back to me this week that makes complete sense to me and i'm going to dive even deeper and 
say that it's some kind of connection to the Bendigo goldfields deep in our heart. <laughs> the 1850s gold rush in central Victoria is deep in our blood, deep in our spirit as Bendigo boys. And that that connection, you know, Bendigo is the south of Australia. So <laughs> <laughs> not South Australia, the south. The south. And, yeah. uh, that, Ballarat that's might have something you know, to say about that. but uh, Alabama, Bendigo. Yeah, you're right. Sovereign <laughs> Hill rules. <laughs> yeah, get, get me a raspberry drop any day of the week from Sovereign Hill. But an incredible record. And as we've mentioned, they you know progressed away from the metalcore into the more southern sound. So I'm going to play a little clip here from Dry the River from the record 2 from 2007. So it's clear there that even though that is a chuggy part, I chose that on purpose to show that they can still be heavy, but the tone is completely different from that first record where they're pure like metalcore chugs to this way brighter, sparser version of heaviness. And I just, that's a fantastic song all around, but that's a great little section right before a really nice country rock hook yeah that's it they often did that throughout this album where they would uh i guess lean into the heavier parts throughout the verses like you mentioned darkest of kim one of your favorites that that's a pretty heavy kind of track on the album but then a lot of the choruses come back to very bright sparkly clean sung choruses that are incredibly hooky incredibly catchy and really more that proper country style element to that southern rock and and they had this great ability to do that where they were like we're not not a heavy band we're still a heavy band and we've still got you know very guitar driven songs but we know light and shade and we know how to kind of like lean into it when we have to and then drift back it's hard to look by this album being the best album by Maylene I I think but I'm not sure if you feel the same way because three we'll, we'll talk more about three that's still to come but uh incredible album but probably again another quite big leap forward in being different again from this one so they're kind of taking these these big steps along as they go oh big time and it's it's really nice to hear the progression and i think perhaps before we talk about three maybe it's time to hear shinfo with greblo g'day everyone hope you're well um bit of a scene here you've got it you've got to go with it you've got to picture it but you've got a guy right he's driving he's in his car He's listening to Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. Listen close. And he's hooning, you know. He's through the forest. He's going quite quick, quite reckless. At one point, he even drives to a river. And you're wondering, where's this guy going? You know, why is he in such a hurry? Is he on his way to see the band? Is he on a quest looking for love? Has he just turned his back on everyone he's ever known? But then he just stops the car. He gets out and he just looks up to the sky. And in the sky, the clouds, but they're not just any clouds. They're clouds in the formation that says, this summer we ride. And you realise it's a fucking Southern 88. (laughs) And Maylene and the Sons of Disaster are pretty much kid emo rock. You know, like, not for kids, kid emo rock. Like, kid, you guys get it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, and I like them. Don't get me wrong. I think they're a pretty good band. My physio, he loves them. But I will say that if we do this... And we don't do a He Is Legend episode, then that will be an absolute demerit to society. 
I hadn't quite thought of the like emo kid rock thing, but I, he might be onto something there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it is the emo version. They're another like Southern rock kind of band that, that does have a, their own tribute to Sweet Home Alabama, just like Kid Rock does. Yeah, man. I, I'd never really put that together either, but it's a very hot take and, and one that's hard to dispute. But I definitely thought that as he was telling that story and the character gets out of the car, I swear he was going to say they're the clouds up in the clouds. But, uh, <laughs> shout out to K-Baz. That, uh, <laughs> little shout out to K-Baz there. But uh, I didn't know that Greblo really um, was into Maylene much. I don't think he was, but uh, he mentions Lewis and Close. He also mentions driving through a river. Fucking rivers are all through this shit. And the Southern 80 is a race Southern 80, on a race river. on a fucking river, man. Like very into the rivers, I, I find, you know. So maybe it's because, you know, generally southern america thing they're nowhere near the coast they're nowhere near the ocean there we go we talked about amity's obsession with the ocean therefore southern band's obsession with rivers that's That's their water that's their water to uh to write about he mentioned he is legend which i think there's a nice little connection actually because while dallas was unavailable for a tour skylar from he is legend actually filled in so there's certainly some similarities there um and certainly a band that we could consider doing down the track but uh very nice little contribution from you there greblo very much appreciated you mentioned the song listen close and this record three shows a, a further step in the direction of maturity for this band. So I think maybe we'll kick it off by hearing what the song Listen Close sounds like. I made the point before, I don't want to listen to Garth Brooks, but knowing that a band that started as a metalcore band sounds like this now, I'm into it. Like, this is the only thing I'm listening to that sounds like this. And I absolutely love this song. You know, this is my favorite Maylene song, hands down. This record is is pretty cool. You know, it kicks off with a banjo intro. They're really leaning into the South now and moving further and further away from metalcore you know this band knows how to kick off a record they know how to do singles um i think just a shock is a great song with an awesome pre-chorus it's got the signature hallmarks of mailing and the sons of disaster bang an intro some southern influence with some banjos awesome singles and then another really lovely instrumental to end the album with the end is here the end is beautiful so listening back i did realize it wasn't as complete a package as two was the music on this one is the standout isn't it like they've they've taken a massive step in as you said there's banjos there's organs there's guitar work that is way more complex than what's on two and one the guitars are incredibly tight and Dallas's voice just continues to get better and better and better, especially on the cleaner stuff. Like he's always been able to do that, that yell and that's that kind of growl. And it doesn't change. That style of singing doesn't change much from one through to three, but the cleans get better. And probably just the way they're writing the songs is, is better. Like I think the thing that's most noticeable for me by the time you get to three is these songs aren't actually as straightforward and easy as I probably first thought they were. I talked earlier about sort of like this accessible, achievable music that like I would listen to and go, fuck, I'm not the best guitarist, but I reckon I could play that one. And then I reckon I could write something similar to that. And when I'm looking at the rhythm guitar elements, that's kind of the case. But the lead guitar work across three, it's definitely there in two, but across three, 
is so fucking cool, man. And it is like not easy to do. And it takes and elevates these songs to a completely different level. And that was probably the thing that pretty much throughout any band you and I have ever done, we've never really had a proper lead guitarist, have we? Like we, we, I guess our earliest stuff with Violence and Sunshine, we were very lucky. We had Tom who could sing and play lead guitar, which is a very unique mix because he was a better guitarist than me. So he was still playing more of the lead stuff and I was still just there being a dork on the side, just doing rhythm only. Pretty much then, all the way from then, any band we've done or even any little thing we've put together, we haven't usually had kind of lead guitar as such. We've just written pretty straight up rock songs, straight up whatever we're doing. And I think it shows that we really were missing out. I think we were really missing out to not have an absolute gun of a guitarist who could be there to turn songs that are otherwise relatively simple in their kind of how they've come together. You add something like what's on three, the the lead guitar work across three. You put that in the mix and all of a sudden you've got this insanely complex, really cool album. Well, let's not forget. I mean, it's it's a deep reference on this show, but... Let's remember the Nash of the band. This is a phenomenon we spoke band, about yeah. way, way back. This extra kind of X factor that comes in and, and lifts your band. And we tried to get Nash in our, in our band <laughs> and, and he did. helped us, but he was dead set on the band he was already in and we couldn't quite pry him away because he helped us kind of pop some shredding on on our attempts to be a mailing uh, cover band essentially <laughs> yeah. and we just couldn't get him so there was the true the gnash of the band eluded us but the guitar work on this i think is attributed to two completely new guitar players they moved on between two and three and picked up Callie Scott Nunn and Jake Duncan. And Jake Duncan actually stuck with the band for a long, long time. But he really brought in that extra layer of lead guitar. And Callie Scott Nunn was an excellent rhythm guitarist and backing vocalist. And I think it's good proof that there are different types of guitarists. You know, you can be a pure rhythm guitarist. That can be a skill. You can be a lead guitarist and be an absolute fucking nightmare to work with. You know, some of those absolute shredders and people that understand like the full extent of scales and can just pick up anything can be really intimidating. Like I I think I've mentioned it before. I jammed a couple of years ago with a guy who was a guitarist in a tool cover band and he made me never want to play music again because <laughs> his ability to just immediately play something was so intimidating and almost quite unforgiving like he'd be like oh yeah let's play this song and I'd be like trying to figure out a single note lead and he knows the full structure and every chord immediately it can be really really hard to find good people to be in a band with and it's a shame we could never quite lock nash in to be the nash in our band yeah that's true man that's that's a that's a valid point i do remember having a few jams uh with nash that's the best we could get was for him to come down and jam a few out and how fucking much better did the song sound when we just said basically this is the song man play something over the top and it didn't matter what he played it sounded way better but is it three which which one's the one that has the sweet bon jovi like kind of like vocoder yeah that's that's on listen close that's on listen close in the in the bridge yeah 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 uh, everyone like we gave you a little snippet of listen close there but go listen to the whole song if you never had because you were in for an absolute joy of a surprise in the bridge it's fucking amazing they did release another record two years later called four there's a music video for the single open your eyes which has the actor danny treo in it which is pretty cool and it's got it's a nice little like reverse story of what you'd expect is going on so check that one out and then after that it was quite a quiet few years it was mentioned in the intro they were working on a new record and then in 2015 
Dallas Taylor and Jake Duncan were injured in an incident with the police. And then sadly, the next year in 2016, Dallas Taylor had a really serious ATV accident that has debilitated him from then up until now when they've announced their return. He has gone through absolute hell and back in his recovery. And after it happened, he has explained exactly what happened to him. So I'm just going to take a second now to explain some of the details of his injuries and what it really means for him to be back now. So he released this statement, and I'm just going to take some excerpts from it. Thank you so much to everyone that has supported me through this time. I broke every bone in my face, cracked my skull, have a brain injury and bleeding on my brain. My face came apart from my skull in two places, have a fully blocked carotid artery, broke my arm really bad and have plates now. I ripped my left ear down to the canal. The other ear has blood behind it, so I can't hear. I have blood on my lungs and lung atrophy from the ventilator and tracheotomy, which causes my oxygen to always be low. I broke my upper and lower jaw and had to have it wired shut. I had a trauma stroke, so I can't feel the right side of my face, and my teeth don't come together because of the weak muscle. I can't track left or right in my right eye, and I can't produce tears in my eyes. I can't feel my eye either, so I don't know when to blink, and from no tears, my vision is extremely blurry. I've lost vision in my left eye for good. So that's it in a nutshell, but I'm alive and I didn't even know if I was going to make it. I'm so thankful to be alive. Thank you again to everyone who has supported me mentally, spiritually, and financially. I can never thank you all for your love and generosity. So this guy has been through absolute hell and it's taken him this long to get even vaguely healthy enough to come back for this Furnace Fest this year and play a set in their hometown. You know, what this means outside of Furnace Fest, who knows? You know, they have done a music video. That's what created the whispers that the band was coming back. But I'm sure he's taking some comfort and safety in the fact that he's going to be in his own hometown doing this comeback show because what he has been through, you know, he's lost vision in one eye, so he's rocking a, an eye patch like an absolute badass. <laughs> but he's, his body has absolutely suffered. And so whether he can put himself through the strenuous nature of touring and performing is yet to be seen. But God, I'm jealous of the people who are going to be at Furnace Fest this year. Oh man, it's absolutely wild. And for it all to come together of, of him getting to play back in his hometown after being through such a horrific, uh, not in the initial accident, but you know, we're now what six years ago that was. And, and he, and now the announcement has only just kind of recently come that they're going to be back. They're going to play that set. There's a new album on the way like what an what an absolute achievement like i can't imagine the recovery phase that that well i I can't imagine a little bit but i can't imagine to that extent going through what he did and and then even wanting i guess to do music again sing again release new material potentially tour or whether that show is is just a bit of a one-off and 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 then maylene will maybe just be more a recorded band who knows it's i think everyone in the scene or anyone that's even vaguely followed this band is incredibly excited to see what comes next and we'll basically take whatever we can get because uh, I'm all of a sudden interested after not really uh, caring too much about 4, didn't listen to it a lot, had definitely moved on from Maylene by then, loved listening to the old stuff. I'm now very intrigued and completely have bought back into Maylene what's going to happen. I hope there's some cool live shit that comes out from Furnace Fest so we can, uh, you know, watch it on YouTube or something later because um, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, so happy to have Maylene back and so excited to see what the future brings. That's it, man. So with all that in mind, uh, you know, do you want to... 
we'll lighten things up a little bit, have a little quiz. You want to play a game? Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Time to do the quiz. I'm quizzing you from somewhere tonight. Am I quizzing through? Is he quizzing through? I choke on every quiz and it never comes out right. This would be so much quizzier quizzing next to you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that's, uh, that's two weeks in a row now with the little amazing quiz uh, openers here. Uh, this, this, could, this could stay. I reckon I'd love to hear from the listeners what they think about these amazing uh, Paul. This is all Paul, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm not fucking lifting <laughs> Bit of time finger. on my hands, man. Bit of time <laughs> yeah. on my hands. <laughs> oh, and we're all very thankful for the time on your hands if that's what we're getting. That was, that was amazing. Uh, so, okay, okay, so for the quiz this week, we're doing Maylene and the Sons of Disaster. You have mentioned uh, the name kind of coming um, from the legend of the, the, the criminal gang of Ma Barker and her sons. So kind of leaning into that life, that famous criminal lifestyle, I put together some questions that are based on sort of famous criminals and at times tried to link it also to music where I can. So... There's a few questions here. We'll see how we go. It's sort of a mixed bag of, uh, you know, ones that are multiple choice, ones that aren't, and you'll just have to do your best. But uh, you want to get started? I'm game, man. You know, I set it up in the intro. I choke on every quiz and it never comes out right. So, hey, I've given myself the insurance (laughs) policy. I'm ready. All right. We'll choke on this. Let's go. Uh, Question one. Bit of a softball, I reckon. Who played Aileen Waronis? I don't even know how to say that uh, that criminal's name in the 2003 movie Monster. Oh, Charlize Theron. Correctamundo. And do you know how to say the criminal's name? Because I really struggled then. That was an awful attempt. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. No idea. All right. Okay. Question two. Which controversial musician used Charles Manson's name in part for their stage name? Brian What's-His-Face as Marilyn Manson. <laughs> yeah, Brian What's-His-Face. We don't need to give him any more airtime. So so What's-His-Face uh, is fine. But yeah, Marilyn Manson is correct, linking Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson. Question three. Very, very awful question, but it's in there. <laughs> the Brian Jonestown Massacre named their band after Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones and the 1978 Jonestown Massacre. And according to a Google search that I did just before... Sadly, how many lives were lost in the massacre? I'm going to give you some options. Was it 115, was it 550, 918, or 1,500? This is obviously a little bit of a, a, a guesstimate or whatever, but this, yeah. is, this was the number. Wow, like all the devastating numbers. Um, it's a fascinating story and one that like there's great case file podcasts about and some movie interpretations. I'm going to say... The 900 one. Man, you have got it. 918 is roughly the number, which is absolutely wow. insane. And the crazy thing to think is that up until 9-11, obviously another awful event that took place, but this was the lo- this was the long-standing kind of non-natural disaster-like type death that happened outside, outside of war. This was the long-standing most deaths from something. And to think of what took place there 
is, is insane. Yeah, absolutely insane to think that that's what happened and that many people died as it relate to it. But as you said, there's a lot of uh, good podcasts, a lot of good movie and TV series interpretations of it. If you're at all into that true crime stuff, that's uh, that's a story worth looking more into. Very, very sad numbers there. So we will move away from that. We'll go to question four. You've got them all? Yeah, you've got them all, man. You're killing it. Uh, you know you're killers. I'm a good boy. You know you're criminals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, question four. The song John Wayne Gacy Jr. is a chilling song with lyrics tied to the notorious serial killer John Wayne Gacy. Who wrote this song? Was it Arcade Fire, Sufjan Stevens, Bob Dylan, or Simon and Garfunkel? They're, they're pretty tricky ones because, like, is it contemporary or is it old? Is it someone that's kind of looked back on it and gone, yeah, I want to write about that? Or is it someone in the moment? Based on absolutely nothing, seeing as he's such a great storyteller, I'm going to go with Bob Dylan. Yeah, I thought that one would get you. That was my bait. Uh, <laughs> it's it's the modern Bob Dylan, maybe. Uh, Suf John Stevens is the uh, is the artist. It's, it's the lyrics in this song are incredibly chilling because in a weird way, uh, he's sort of writing about linking uh, him, I guess, to also being as sinful as a serial killer, as sinful as John Wayne Gacy. He's a pretty religious guy. He, we've talked a bit about religion in the ep so far. He, he's, he's very much in that realm. And I think it kind of comes from that, that context of, you know, uh, you know if, all, if all men are sinners and all would have to then stand before God as sinners, then what's sort of the difference in someone as horrific as John Wayne Gacy or someone whose sins are generally seen as not as horrific but ultimately they've both sinned and they will both have to pay for those sins so it's sort of this weird lyrical concept that graphically kind of talks about the creepiness of john wayne gacy but then also sort of you know linking in like him to that it it's a it's the craziest thing about it is it's an amazing song it's very chilling it's very haunting it's it's a little kind of piano number atmospheric amazing vocals like Suf john always does but next time you listen to it, and definitely for those listeners that know Suf John and like that stuff and like that album, tune into the lyrics next time you listen to that song because it'll probably give you a goosebumps. Uh, we'll move on. What unfathomable thing did Ted Bundy do twice to avoid conviction for his crimes? There's no options here. You just have to know this. He made Peggy cook dinner for the kids. <laughs> oh, no, not, not Al Bundy. Not Ted Al Bundy. Bundy. Uh, Ted Bundy, what did he do twice? to avoid conviction for his crimes. Please, Skinny, enlighten me. What unfathomable thing did Ted Bundy do? I cannot believe this is what he managed to do twice, but he actually escaped from jail. <laughs> twice. Oh, what a legend. Twice. From the same jail, I believe it was, too. Oh, my God. So one of them, he escaped, and it wasn't for long. I think he was recaptured a few days later. But then the second time he escaped was when he basically then fucked off to Florida and, and was gone for a long time and managed to kill... A bunch of other of his victims along the way in between that time before eventually you know kind of getting found in florida it is insane that it happened twice i don't know how it's kind of a big part of his whole persona being this you know kind of charming likable attractive white guy i guess also was able to uh charm the the prison officers into looking the other way for long enough where he could escape twice it's fucking insane question six which drug lord did Vincent Chase play in the Entourage TV series? Uh, Pablo Escobar or Pablo Escobar. Uh, that is correct. Yes, the uh, Medellin 
season there that uh, probably the worst kind of any chase part and and some of the shitter kind of entourage I guess is around that time it, it wasn't the greatest kind of season and that fat suit and that shitty mustache and it just was pretty bad but anyway you you've you've done very well you know your vinny chase uh and you know your, your crime lords so we'll move on question seven only two to go uh the dillinger escape plan named their band after john dillinger who was a 1930s bank robber uh and also uh, had had uh, a notoriety for his multiple escapes from jail so here's another bloody criminal getting out of jail um but the Dillinger Escape Plan frontman, uh, Greg Pucciato, or Pucciato, I don't quite know how to say his last name, apologies. Uh, he made the headlines in the UK for doing what? So here's the options. Was he arrested on charges of drug possession and also managed to escape from police custody? Did he defecate on stage at Reading Festival? <laughs> oh my God. Was he dating... Baby Spice, Emma Bunton, and that made the uh, the papers. Or was it due to them cancelling their UK tour due to political differences with then UK PM, Tony Blair? So, arrested and escaped from police custody, defecated on stage, dating Baby Spice, or cancelling the tour? Which one did he do? Oh my god, man. I actually have... No idea. I've never heard this before, and I don't know much about Dillinger, which is disrespectful to their place in the scene. But shit, man. Um, the grossest one, like Baby Spice, sounded rad. I love that. The Tony Blair thing sounds good, but fuck, shitting on stage. That sounds gross. I hope it's not that. Is that what he did? Unfortunately, that is what he did. Ah. And I'm going to read this little excerpt from uh, Wiki as to how much worse it is than just shitting on stage. Okay. Here we go. And apologies to the listener for this. But basically, at Reading Festival, he shat on stage in front of everyone, the entire crowd, everyone could see, into a bag, and then threw the bag into the crowd before smearing the rest of it onto himself, proclaiming, this is a bag of shit. I just wanted to show you this so you'll recognise it later on throughout the day. And this was referring to the quality of some of the bands he felt were also appearing on the festival, particularly Puddle of Mud. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, res <laughs> I respect the analogy, but not the action. That's fucking disgusting. I mean, like... That's insane. Absolutely disgusting. Jeez, that sounds like someone I want nothing to do with. Yeah. I've just watched the Woodstock 99 documentary, which is a great documentary from HBO, one or two years old now. And it's just a scathing indictment on, like how bad angry music can be for big like lumps of hot white men and it's just like shit can really go wrong and i just don't think that's a healthy uh statement or influence to have on anyone and it's fucking disgusting so yeah not cool greg incredibly disgusting but you got the question right, so I'm drawing comparisons between the two of you. I'm not sure if that's uh, justified. I think you're also <laughs> disgusting. But, uh... That is me. Yeah, I have not showered yet, Skinny Nick, and you can smell it over this Zoom call. <laughs> I can, but yeah, uh, unfortunately, you did get that question correct. Uh, it's absolutely disgusting, but you're killing it. I think you've only got two wrong. Last question. We'll lighten it up a little bit. Uh, and uh, I think we everyone would agree it's very common knowledge that Maylene frontman Dallas Taylor used to be the frontman of Under Oath. Everyone knows oh, everyone that. Everyone like, knows that. Everyone knows that. <laughs> uh, but what 
might be not as common knowledge is that he has appeared in which of these Hollywood movies? I've got four options, and he was in this particular movie. Was it Dumb and Dumber 2? Was it The Hangover 2? Was it Zoolander 2 or Joe Dirt 2? Man. He was in one of these movies. <laughs> I wish I knew this because I was listening to an interview with him recently and I heard the tail end and he's like, yeah. And so I just went and kind of like filmed a day and then, you know, I think my part was like kind of just in the movie. And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't need to know what movie that was. Fucking hell. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a complete roll of the dice and say that it was, I mean, fuck, does Joe Dirt 2 even exist? Um, These they all exist. They all oh exist. my god! All yeah. right, I'm yeah, going Joe Dirt two with absolutely no knowledge. Man, you have knowledge somewhere because you have nailed it. Joe Dirt <laughs> two as Lucky Louie. Oh my god, is David Spade in Joe Dirt two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in it. Yeah, David Spade's in it. So they would have oh maybe seen god. each other on set, maybe hung out. I don't know, but yeah, Joe Dirt. Oh my 2. god, it's 2015 as well. Yeah, not that long ago, dude. Not that long. Like this would have oh, been, I guess, just dude. before. The accident. This must have literally just been the year before the accident. Like, fuck, Dallas, Dallas Taylor's star was rising, man. He's still in Joe Dirt oh 2. Oh, my God. And then Joe the Dirt accident. Two. Struck and then Joe Dirt 3 would have happened if it wasn't for the accident. Man, oh, that's God it. Damn. That's it. But, you, but you've got that correct, man. You, you've nailed it. You got six from eight, I believe. And that's probably one of the weirder, more fucked up quizzes we will ever do. <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank you so much, Nick. Dude, you killed it. You, you know, you're. Uh, I thought that'd be up your, your alley. You've always had a little bit of a insight into criminals and, and that kind of thing so but linked it to music where i could a weird quiz be very interested to hear probably from brother andy how he did on that one he loves playing the quiz at home uh but um you know we've we talked earlier about our uh our little attempt i guess at doing a southern rock kind of southern metal version of a band we put one together uh we called it dead river and it was a hell of a lot of fun we never played any shows but we did jam and practice quite a lot. I think at one point we had probably close to like a six song set or something there for a while. And, um, and you mentioned uh, when, we, when we invited our good mate Nash to come and play some lead guitar from us. And that was probably the biggest thing this week, listening back to Maylene and then remembering those years when we had a crack at Dead River. And I was thinking all, all along that this was an achievable style of music that we could do and that we uh, would put together our own little version of, of a Southern rock band. But the biggest outlier still is not having some lead guitar, because otherwise these are pretty boring, standard, basic <laughs> songs, man, that we were writing. It was a hell of a lot of fun. I, I love jamming them. We had a ball doing it. Uh, uh, a lot of home jams, which, was, which we weren't fucking renting out, you know, recording studios to doing this shit. Uh, practice studios so we, we were just playing in a lounge room at, at one of your rentals at the time it was heaps of fun uh it was fun to play but i'm i'm maybe glad that without a lead guitarist we never went on stage and played this shit live i don't know how it would have how it would have gone you know what i'm glad about i'm glad that you brought this band up you know it's been scattered throughout <laughs> the episode and you're not going to believe it skinny but 12 years on i still have possession of those very very rough demos and i'm oh, gonna play no, 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 a no. little <laughs> clip now of I'm not the fine man you take me for by Dead River. Oh, let's put it on. Oh, 
So you could hear there, the listener can hear that we were just trying to be Maylene and the Sons of Disaster and nowhere near as good. Shout out to uh, Josh Guy for providing lead squeals on those tracks. <laughs> <laughs> he could not get that guitar under control, man. Like had the, had the most expensive gear out of any of us and that fucking amp squealed away like like no tomorrow. And is that is that Brother Tim? On drums for that That's demo? That's Brother Tim on drums, yeah. Brother Tim, man. That that one actually might have been, I think from memory, that, that was us jamming in the upstairs of my parents' house at the time. It was, yeah. Yeah, when we really upset your mum about like <laughs> how, we, how the neighbours were going to feel. <laughs> yeah, I cannot believe that you somehow still have that because I just have sort of memories of it. I don't really have, uh, I definitely don't remember how to play the songs, although it wouldn't be because they weren't fucking hard songs, but uh yeah, that, as you said, that was our weird attempt at a 100% Maylene ripoff band. As we've said before, I'm not the biggest like uh, stage performer. I'm, I don't like playing live all that much, but it would have been nice to have some slightly more polished recordings of that stuff. Just, just, for, just for our own sake, I think it would have been kind of cool. We always struggled with the drummer. That was the biggest issue with the band. So I played the drums and sang at certain oh, practices. Then brother Tim would do it. It was just hard work. It was a band that we really wanted to do because we'd put so much work into it. But outside of you and me, we could never get a committed lineup. Like you know, we had Chooker on bass, which was awesome. Yes, that um, was but, awesome. But you know, that that what like that didn't stick. You know, we had brother Tim helping us out, but really just because I think he lived with you at the time. Yeah, yeah, he was just there. We got Nash in when he was available. Did, did Phil end up in this band at some stage? Was Phil playing bass? I think Phil had a crack. Phil pretty much had a had a crack and or been involved in anything we've we've done. And at some point, he was yeah slapping the bass on this one. Um, but you're right, the drummer was the hard thing to get. And I think in a weird way, we can link this to uh, to Maylene in the sense of we really liked him. We we loved that kind of southern rock style. It was nothing like we'd really heard much before. We really enjoyed what they were doing, but most of our friends who were musicians didn't. You know, most of the other people that we would usually probably call on to say, hey, do you want to do a band? We're looking for a drummer. Hey, do you want to do a band? We need a guitarist. Like, I think Nash's band was uh, like a like a cool kind of the national indie attempt band at the time. So when we were saying like, hey, dude, come play lead guitar on this southern rock shit, he's probably like, no nah, man I'm, I'm cooler than that like i'm yeah, not southern yeah, rock and time. that was that was kind of the thing and that's a thing with maylene as well i think is like they're not necessarily super cool at the time they weren't even now they're not but the music's amazing we fucking love it and uh yeah if only some of our friends were were keen to just try something a little bit different i think that's all we were looking for just put your put your you know self out there and try something a little different it was a lot of fun something that 12 years later we can still look back on with a <laughs> bit of fondness <laughs> and laugh at so i think we may as well wrap that with one more little snippet this is from i didn't create a monster i was deceived by one by dead river Absolute tunes, man. Wouldn't have wanted to have done it with anyone else. Oh, man, me neither. And I think the the standout there, even from the demos being pretty shit, is your vocals, man. You fucking nailed that style. You were killing it. That was great. I was like 19 or something, kind of acting like I'm a 40-year-old guy from Alabama. Such yep. a faker. Chugging whiskey, a faker. smoking ciggies. There you were, <laughs> killing it. <laughs> 
Uh, R.I.P. Dead River. R.I.P. I think we are getting towards the end of the episode and I think it's important that we acknowledge this week's sponsor. You know, we've spoken a little bit about Bendigo feeling a bit like the South and this ad is actually from Tourism Victoria. So let's hear from this week's sponsor now. Are you on the hunt for a unique holiday destination? Why not choose somewhere off the beaten track? A place where the air is a little different. Mmm... I love the smell of crystal meth in the morning. So now you're allowed out of the house again, why not visit Bendigo, the cultural hub of country Victoria? It's a magical place. You won't be able to get a taxi at night, but you will be able to get into a fight at the taxi rank. It's a place where the battered savs are undercooked, but at least they're half the price of the big smoke. A place where chips, cheese and gravy are best eaten at 2am. It's a town where being good at football will let you get away with pretty much anything. A town where a member of Chumbawamba literally had to ask a local councillor to stop using tub thumping in their campaign ads. Yes, that's 100% true. That really happened. The Red Bears may not be $1 a can anymore, but the alcohol-fueled violence is still just as charming. So these school holidays, consider Bendigo. Bendigo. So where the fucking fuck are ya? Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I wanna take you to Bermuda, Bahama, come on pretty mama, Key Lago, Montego, ooh, I wanna take you down to Bendigo, we'll get there fast and then we'll take it slow, that's where we It's a beautiful city. It absolutely is, man. And uh, despite that ad, I do love going to Bendigo. And uh, I think we had an absolute ball growing up there, despite some of its flaws. Um, You're only allowed but... to pick on it when you're from there. If anyone who isn't from there has a bad <laughs> word to say about it, I will end your life. <laughs> That's it. I think everyone kind of has that, doesn't they? You can pick on where you're from, but you don't want anyone else saying a bad word about it. But uh, interesting ad that. I'm not quite sure that will... Uh, bring too many people on to Bendigo. I'll, I'll probably be there for Easter because it's a great place to be then. But um, anyway, that's where we grew up, uh, a great little town. And uh, I don't know, that's kind of it. That's kind of it for this episode. Do you have anything else you want to, you know, cover from these uh, from these beautiful boys from the south? I'm good, man. And I'm just happy Maylene are back. Uh, best of luck to Dallas Taylor. I think he has been kept afloat over the last six years with the love and the support of fans. You know, he said emotionally and financially there was a a GoFundMe that funded fifty thousand dollars of his medical bills and we know that in the u.s needing the kind of care that he would need is not cheap and he's lost his source of income so um you know make sure that whatever you can do to support this band whether it's buying a t-shirt seeing them at furnace fest buying a record whatever you can do um make sure you do it because they deserve it for all the hard work that they've put into their music career but also all the personal stuff that dallas has gone through over the last few years yeah well put man uh the only thing i'm going to say is we have floated in the last few weeks of getting together with brother andy and having a little jam we've been missing playing a bit of live music uh, and we wanted to uh you know rent out a little space and play some music and we were going to play some new versus stuff which is one of our other bands andy's been practicing those songs maybe we'll play them maybe we won't Fuck, scrap that, man. Let's do Dead River. I just want to go back and chug on, on the guitar board. and play some Dead River shit. So uh, we'll hit up Brother Count Andy for that. Count me in. 
and that'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> Tickets selling everywhere soon. But uh, uh, that's it this week for the Violence and Sunshine podcast. As always, check us out on Instagram at Violence and Sunshine. And wherever you're listening to us on whatever platform, uh, feel free to leave a five-star rating if you're enjoying it. Subscribe and tell a friend about what we're doing. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week when we'll be exploring Atreyu. I'm Paul. And I'm Nick. I'd take back everything if you'd stay by my side. <laughs>